Hey everyone, this is Giordano from The Juice Media. Welcome back to The Juice Media Podcast, a companion to the Honest Government Ad series. This episode of the podcast is recorded on Wurundjeri land and it is the companion to our latest Honest Government Ad about carbon capture and storage. Introducing Carbon Capture and Storage. Carbon Capture and Storage, or CCS, is a complex mining process whereby fossil fuel companies inject donations into the arseholes of politicians to delay climate action and let them keep making the ching-ching. This Honest Government ad is part of our Climate Shitfuckery series, in which we're picking off each of our government strategies to avoid taking serious action on the climate crisis. We started off with our HGA about the Kyoto carryover credits, bullshit that allowed our government to spend the best part of the last decade claiming it had overachieved on reducing emissions. Then we looked at its EV policy, FFS, which does nothing to support EVs, an actual climate solution. Then we looked at the erosion of our science agencies as a means of sanitizing fracking and extending the social license of the gas industry. And now in this Honest Government ad, we turn our attention to one of the key technologies this government is proposing to use to reduce emissions, carbon capture and storage, or CCS. The reason I'm focusing on these topics is because we're running out of time. We are now approaching the third year in the decade that counts. And I hope that these HGAs can help improve public literacy around climate and energy policy so that more of us can recognize bullshit climate policies and solutions when we spot them in the wild and make better informed decisions at the coming election. And of course, this podcast gives us a chance to dive into much further detail when discussing such complex topics as carbon capture and storage, which is why I have as my guest today on the podcast an expert on the topic, Richie Mosian. Richie is the director of the Climate and Energy Program at the Australia Institute. Prior to that, he was an Australian government representative at UN climate change conferences and has worked in government for almost a decade on both domestic and international climate and energy agendas. Richie joins us for the second time on the Juice Media Podcast today. I hope you enjoy our conversation and I'll catch you on the other side. G'day, Richie. Great to have you back on the Juice Media Podcast. Great to be here, Diodano. So the topic of our latest Honest Government ad is carbon capture and storage. But before we get stuck into that, I'd like us to reclaim the narrative ground because surely a key part of the solution of the climate crisis is not to let fossil fuel interests always set the terms of the conversation around their bullshit. So with that in mind, can you remind us of the bigger picture and where we stand right now in the climate crisis? We've just seen the IPCC's much anticipated sixth assessment report and we're heading towards a critical climate summit in Glasgow in November. What's a sane framework in which to have this discussion about solutions to the climate crisis? The science is always the best place to start. And the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, the global consensus when it comes to research on climate change have put out their physical science report, Working Group One. And it said, unequivocally, humans are causing climate change, that the globe is warming. Even if we do more than we're doing now, we will hit 1.5 degrees of global warming, which was supposed to be the goal of the Paris Agreement to avoid hitting 1.5 degrees of global warming. But that's going to happen regardless of how good we are. And we are nowhere close to that right now. So if there's ever a message like, hey, guys, you're failing, pull up your socks, that was it. And then on top of that, the International Energy Agency, which is a relatively conservative international organization that models how the globe goes about getting its energy and the technologies and the developments there, said that if you want to keep global warming to 1.5 degrees, you should not be opening up any new coal, oil, or gas fields at all as of now. 
So the science is clear, the actual solutions or what to avoid is clear. And then fortunately, the technology to actually go ahead and change our energy system, and I'm focusing on energy in particular because energy is the main sector. That's where most of the emissions come from. And then of that, it's mainly because we use fossil fuels for energy. And when you burn fossil fuels, you get greenhouse gas emissions. So the message is clear. Global warming's happening. It's worse than we thought in terms of how we're tracking. We need to do more. And that means getting off fossil fuels and not opening up any new fossil fuels. That's it. And there's also an urgency to all this. Like we can't do it sometime down the track. What kind of timeframes are we looking at? When do we need to implement these changes? Like, yeah, look, it's, it's a political call at the end of the day. But if you listen to President Biden, he's saying this is it, the next decade, what they call the decisive decade. This is when you need to turn things around and do so drastically. This is not let's worry about it in 2050. Um, or really just start acting on it in 2040. It's what are we doing over the next couple of years to drastically reduce our usage and the production of fossil fuels. That's why it's called the decisive decade and every ton counts. So we should be looking at how you shift that right now. With that in mind, now let's talk about what is actually being proposed um, by the Morrison government um, as uh, you know Australia's contribution to this um, epic challenge that we face. Um, the Morrison government, as one of the five technologies in its technology investment roadmap, uh, has proposed carbon capture and storage, or CCS. It's one of the main solutions propping up our pro government's promise to reach, uh, to meet its Paris emission targets and net zero. Yet very few people understand what this technology is about and probably have to hear about it to go, oh, wow, that sounds amazing. Awesome. You know, I'll, we'll reelect you because it sounds like you've got it all under control. Can you talk about CCS and whether this is a safe basket? to be putting all our eggs in. So it's worth, worth remembering that the federal government doesn't have a climate and energy policy, it just doesn't exist. We don't have a real overarching plan for how we deal with climate change. All the government has produced is, uh, is basically a short list of technologies that it likes through this technology investment roadmap. And as you said, carbon capture and storage is one of the five technologies. Now, if you haven't heard about it, you should have because this is not a new technology. The government has been banging on about carbon capture and storage for the last two decades. And it doesn't matter which government, they all bang on about it, right? But it has changed names and maybe that's why it's not as familiar. We used to call it clean coal, right? Remember that clean coal, like let, let, let's send Australia's clean coal overseas, like we can make coal cleaner. Um, that was the marketing campaign through which it originally started. And now we just call it carbon capture and storage because we've given up on the fact that it can really clean coal, but it's being used to clean up other fossil fuels as well. And that's part of the problem. But carbon capture and storage has been a colossal failure. Despite billions of dollars committed by federal and state governments and internationally as well, carbon capture and storage as a technology has failed to meet any target that's ever been set for it, be it from the International Energy Agency or the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change or the Australian government or all the lobby groups that have been pushing it. So it's just, it's just failed over and over and over again, but it keeps coming up because they need it in order to save face, to save the reputation of fossil fuels by pretending like they can take this technology and tack it onto fossil fuel production and keep doing what they usually do. Maybe uh, you could explain that 
with a specific example by using um, the biggest of all commercial CSS projects around today is right here in Australia, Chevron's gigantic Gorgon LNG plant in WA. We mentioned it in the video, but I'd like you to give us a sense of what happened there in terms of proving whether CS CCS works, um, or at least if it can be scaled up to the level where it makes a difference. And, um, you know, very few people know about this project, um, which allows uh, CCS shills to hold it up even as a success story, like we saw in a recent op-ed by Labour MP Joel Fitzgibbon entitled Carbon Capture Critics Put Ideology Before Cooling the Planet, where he writes glowingly that, quote, the Gorgon Gas Project's operators have injected 5 million tonnes of CO2 into geological formations two kilometres underground with no mention of the context around that. So Richie, can you help Joel out here? What what has he not told us about Gorgon and uh, how does Gorgon explain the failures of this technology, as you said? So yeah, I mean, Gorgon is literally on the other side of the country to where the majority of Australians live. Like it's in the Northwest of WA and it is nominally the largest carbon capture and storage project in the world. Chevron runs the site. It is a gas uh, extraction and processing facility, um, and they run it with two minor partners being Shell and ExxonMobil. So quite the, the coalition. If ever there's a lot of money that's going to try and make this work, it should be there. And on top of that, the government gave them 60 million to help make that all work. Right. The whole purpose of it is that they find some big fields of gas underground, natural gas. Um, they extract that but when they extract the natural gas which is mainly methane it also comes with a lot of co2 so you need to strip out the co2 because you don't want that you want to just keep the natural gas and then that's what you liquefy and you ship out and sell to the japanese or to the koreans and with that with that co2 that you have left over oftentimes it's just released into the air and that's not cool so the promise is that chevron was going to stick 80 percent of that underground in these big geological storages and they promised that they would get that working as soon as they got the entire facility working in 2016. But 2016 came about and it didn't work. And then 2017 came about and it didn't work. And then 2018 and finally in 2019, they got it working and then it stuffed up. And we don't think it's ever really been fully operational since then. And this is supposed to be the shining light, the great big project where they bury the emissions underground and demonstrate that they can also keep producing um, gas. And it's, it's just failed over and over again. What's made this worse though, is there's been no penalty for Chevron for doing this. Um, and, and so the WA government approved the project because they were gonna bury emissions. And every year they didn't, the WA government kept saying, that's all right, have another crack next year. Oh, she'll be right. Look, literally said, we're gonna treat this in good faith until you get it going. Eventually they, they, they face enough pressure and enough time passes that actually maybe you might need to offset it because the result of not burying their emissions was about 10 million tons of CO2. To give you an idea of what that means, what is 10 million tons of CO2? That is every single domestic flight in Australia for a year, like a pre-pandemic year during our normal kind of flight needs. That's how much emissions. It's to the point where, because it wasn't working, you could actually see it on our emissions graph. It actually doubled the increase in our emissions in 2017-18. It's that big. And then here's the other part. The WA government kept saying, she'll be right. The federal government was supposed to set a cap on, on high polluting facilities, right? Chevron basically gave themselves a cap for the, for the site in Gorgon 
that banked in failure, that actually included failing to meet Gorgon because they knew that it probably wasn't going to work. And the federal government let them do that. So this, that, this is how messed up it is. One, that the technology fails, but two, there's no real punishments for it failing. In fact, it fails upwards. We reward it with more money and more attention and more glowing op-eds. So two things there. One is that that target isn't for all the emissions that Gorgon produces. We're just talking about its uh, capturing the own production emissions out of that process that you said about stripping the methane. But once the gas is then shipped off and burnt in other parts of the world, those those emissions aren't captured. So there's, I think potentially there's, some people might think, oh, carbon capture and storage takes care of all of those emissions as well. It doesn't. When you include those, no. it's it's even less than the contribution that it did. And then secondly, we have, you know, so many people are choosing not to fly. And you've just said this, uh, the, the emissions from Gorgon, which was supposed to capture what it didn't capture, it, it cancelled out all the goodwill of people who've maybe chose not to take a plane or chose to, you know, do a Zoom call and say, well, that that's pointless. So it cancels all, all the goodwill that people have to take personal responsibility. So it's, it's a big fuck you to everyone, basically. Isn't that so frustrating, right? Because what the fossil fuel companies will tell you is, hey, what can you do to reduce your carbon footprint, right? While at the same time, releasing more than you could possibly do, like more than your entire city could possibly do, more than the entire country could, flying everywhere for a whole year. That's what they'll get away with. And in the meantime, they try and guilt you into you changing your lifestyle, like, oh, maybe I'll walk today instead of driving to the shops. Entirely cancelled out. And that's why if we don't hold these companies to account, if we don't call out these bollocks technologies, then we're not going to solve the climate crisis. So one of the main arguments that proponents of CCS use is like, yes, okay, you know, maybe it's it's not perfect, but we need to use all of the, 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 the available uh, solutions. So this is what uh, Fitzgibbon wrote in that article. He said, instead of pretending that CSS, CSS doesn't work, anti-fossil fuel campaigners, that's you, Richie, should support every mechanism that can reduce greenhouse gas emissions. So isn't that a reasonable take? We should be embracing CCS along with renewables. Or do you see a problem with that approach? Yeah, there's a problem with that approach. It's, it doesn't work. It doesn't work. Like, it's not a solution. It's not a solution. Look, CCS in this country is a marketing pool. It's a marketing campaign. That's what it's been. It's been used to extend the social license of fossil fuel companies. If it worked, we could use it. It doesn't work. So why are we still banging on about it? It's like the nuclear debate that we have to have every two or three years in this country. Why won't we have a debate? We've had the debate and the nuclear proponents failed, but they keep wanting to have a debate right? It's a false solution. And the only reason why you have proponents pro fossil fuel people pushing it is because it saves the face, it allows you to fall into that that false sense of comfort knowing that maybe we can continue to actually dig up and export fossil fuels, because we'll bury those emissions, you're seeing this, this crazy kind of like marketing tools now about how you can have carbon neutral oil, or carbon neutral coal because or carbon neutral gas because they're going to offset it by actually buying some permits. No, the best carbon capture and storage is where we keep the bloody CO2 underground to begin with. That's the solution, right? Anything else is just marketing. That's it. And this whole kind of we need many horses in the race. That's horse shit, right? We know what technologies work. 
Yeah. And we need to be backing them and subsidizing them. So it's a bit like if in response to the COVID uh, crisis, uh, you know, Joel Fitzgibbon was saying, well, we need to try all the vaccines, even the ones that, you know, don't work, you know, we just got to try them all, you know, like, yeah. no, you, as, as we said at the start, we're in an emergency. We have very short time frame to do this. We can't be fucking wasting time on shit that doesn't why, work. Why are you anti-useless vax? Yeah. Why are you anti-useless? We need many vax, even ones that don't work. Because I'm an anti-fossil fuel campaigner. And also, I love how it's an anti-fossil fuel campaigner, not a pro-climate yeah. solutions campaigner, right? Well, this is what I was talking about at the start, about you know setting the frame of the discussion. Moving on, in the Honest Government ad, we briefly flagged another piece of major shitfuckery, which is how the Morrison government is planning to divert funds from agencies like ARENA and the Clean Energy Fund to support CCS projects. But that's just the tip of the shitberg, as there are now also plans to issue carbon credits uh, for CCS projects. Can you unpack this a little bit further? We only briefly mentioned it in the video, but yep. you know, most people would know nothing about this. So give us a lowdown. This is just a great example of state capture. That first part of the CCS in, in your wonderful ad, it, this, just, this just exemplifies it perfectly. Here's what happens. The Minister for Emissions Reductions, Angus Taylor, quietly and secretly commissions an ex-gas executive to undertake a review of all climate policies. This ex-gas executive is called Grant King. He was also the chair of the business council that said that taking on a 45% emission reduction target would be economy wrecking without any evidence to do so, right? So this ex-fossil fuel executive reviews our climate policies, comes back and says, hey, carbon capture and storage is great. We need to get it more money. We need the Australian Renewable Energy Agency. We need the Clean Energy Finance Corporation. We need carbon credits for CCS. Then Minister Taylor says, yes, I will do all those things, right? And then tries to change the mandate of ARENA, tries to change the mandate of the CEFC, actually did change ARENA's mandate, but that will be contested. Tried to change the CEFC, that, that failed on the floor of the parliament, but it won't be the end of it. We're talking and about stuff that's the, happening right now, like these- It's happening these, right yeah. now. So yeah. ARENA, the ARENA changes were just approved like in the last couple of weeks. The CEFC amendment fell because Barnaby Joyce tried to include coal along with, with a whole bunch of other stuff. And then nuclear was, the whole thing fell over because the government couldn't get its act together, but it will come back to the floor. And then the third one is the minister commissioned his clean energy regulator to come up with a method to give carbon credits to, to CCS. The body that then looks at whether that isn't that methodology has integrity is called the Emissions Reduction Assurance Committee. Angus Taylor, Minister Angus Taylor, changed the head of the ERAC, the Emissions Reduction Assurance Committee, the one that gives the tick of approval to this methodology, from a professor at, at ANU, who's an expert on this area, to the head CCS lobbyist who is now looking at the methodology to approve a CCS uh, method, right? And then also puts on there um, someone from the CSIRO who handles oil and gas. And we, we've talked about the CSIRO and Jazeera. Um, and then also puts on another person who for the last 20 years has been the modeler to go to, the economist of choice for the fossil fuel industry, right? So basically stacks it. And who is the first one to put their hands up for potentially these carbon credits? It's Santos. And they've said in past reports, they want to use carbon credits to pay for CCS, which they will use to enhance oil recovery, right? They will bury the CO2 only for the purposes of driving out oil 
which if you burn might cause an even bigger carbon footprint than what you've buried underground. Right? And then that is just going to be pushed through. And then Santos might take those credits that it gets from CCS and then sell them to another oil company or sell them to someone else to then offset their emissions, whilst also saying that they're doing what's, what's good. And then that will also potentially be counted as part of Australia's efforts. So the whole thing is just a giant you fill in the blanks. Well, it's, it sounds like a Ponzi scheme. I mean, there's conflict of interests. There's uh, double dipping, it sounds like. Like, it's this is like, um, okay. And I mean, I kind of want to get onto this at, at the end, but, um, you know, we need legislation to prevent this kind of stuff. Because as you said, we don't have climate legislation, which allows, it's like a fucking Wild West, basically. You know, this this can happen because th- th- there is very little um, uh, regulation in place. Um, but just so people understand, um, the key message and like arena and the clean energy fund which were introduced by this we're talking um, by by the lab by the labor greens government in uh, in 2011 20... 2011 so it's 20, 20, 2011 it was part of the package yeah so it was yeah. billions of dollars for early stage and then later stage renewables so that's all we have left in terms of like you know actual official legislated bodies that support climate solutions like renewables evs that kind of stuff now what we're seeing is and it, basically, this government is coming after those agencies and trying. They can't get rid of them, so it's going to try and and, and yes. reshape the mandate so that they can fund CCS and even enhance oil recovery. Exactly. Have I got that right? Just so people understand the depth no, that's exactly of right. The shit that we're dealing with here. Yep, it's not enough for them to give ten point three billion dollars per year to the fossil fuel interests in this country subsidies. They want to take the bucket of money that is for climate action through Arena and the CFC and through the clean energy regulators auctions for carbon credits and actually use those for CCS as well. So they're just cannibalizing the existing infrastructure, the, the small amount of infrastructure we actually have for climate action in this country, they're looking to cannibalize that too. And let's remember because of ARENA and the CFC and the renewable energy target, all three things that the Abbott government tried to kill off, it led to over $25 billion of renewables now to the point where we have almost 30% of our electricity is renewables, but also that renewables are the cheapest way that we can get electricity right now. That's all thanks to the investment that we made that got saved. And now they're trying to take that and turn that into the many horses that we need to run a race to save fossil fuels. So it all really relies on the marketing uh, spin of CCS, because if you can say that it's a clean solution, then of course it makes sense to use funding from ARENA and the Clean Energy Fund. So really it all comes down to people understanding what this technology is about, that it doesn't work, doesn't reduce emissions, and in some cases, like with enhanced oil recovery, can actually create more emissions, or like Gorgon, create more emissions because it doesn't fucking do the capturing job. But moving on, uh, CCS is just one of these uh, shit pillars in the technology uh, roadmap. Another one, a really important one, is hydrogen. And uh, some people may have been hearing about uh, clean hydrogen or blue hydrogen, and we mentioned it briefly at the end of this uh, of this honest government ad. Now. I'm actually hoping we can make an honest government ad just about hydrogen because it feels like the world, Australia, but the world is at a crossroads now in in really tapping into this new energy source, which is exciting. Um, but it, it it matters how the hydrogen is made, and this is something that not a lot of people understand. I didn't understand it until I until I read up a little bit about it. Can you explain the difference between green and clean or blue hydrogen, and what the Morrison government is proposing to do with it? Yeah. So. Hydrogen is an energy source, right? And you can make it two, really just two ways to simplify things. One, you can use water and through a renewable powered electricity, electrolyze it 
and turn it into hydrogen. And then when you consume it, you end up with energy and water vapor. Zero emissions, right? It's a bit more expensive to make that versus an alternative way to do it, which is how most hydrogen right now is made, which is using fossil fuels. So either using natural gas or really fossil gas or coal. And it's a really emissions intensive process, but basically you turn that into hydrogen. Um, and oftentimes like you probably use coal or, or gas fired electricity along that process as well. So it's a really emissions intensive process to do it versus green hydrogen, which has zero emissions. There's, so there's a clean alternative to doing it, like a zero emissions alternative and a really high polluting. So high polluting that you get more emissions than if you just use the coal or gas directly for energy. And so the only way you could possibly justify, not actually legitimately make, but just justify doing this is if you pretended like you could bury some of those emissions underground, which is why CCS is coming back onto the agenda. Much like it was used for clean coal to save coal, um, it is now being used for hydrogen to allow fossil fuels to, to make hydrogen rather than allowing us to make a zero emissions hydrogen source from the get-go. That's why it's coming back on and that's why it's a real risk because if we go down this path, we could actually end up increasing emissions and locking in infrastructure that is not transferable. So the whole thing is just another stitch up to save fossil fuels from extinction. So if I've understood correctly, CCS is being used not only to continue old forms of fossil fuel extraction, coal, gas, and oil, but also to fuck up new ones that could potentially actually be good solutions like hydrogen. And that's the real risk. We could screw up an entire new industry if we accept the fact that CCS could be part of the solution when we know it's just a giant marketing scheme. And I mean, there's a huge debate raging about this at the moment. There was, I saw an article about a fairly senior person in the UK just resigned. Can you tell us about that? Do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, so it, so it was the chair of the UK's hydrogen panel, so a government appointed committee. And this expert who sat on there said, look, I can't in right conscious and in the right mind, sit here and accept the fact that these two are equal when one of them is clearly zero emissions and better for the climate and the other one is just a he said literally a giant distraction it's an expensive distraction and it was immoral to pursue this dirty new energy source when there is a zero emissions alternative right here that we could be going hard and doing when you hear hydrogen you should ask is it green hydrogen because that should be it we should ban any other way that hydrogen is created right now We've spoken about technology, but there's also important political uh, a political dimension to um, you know addressing the climate crisis because fundamentally everything that we've talked about is uh, is a crisis of governance. We're dealing with a case of what we've called in the honest government ad state capture. You've referred to it as well, whereby both major parties are absolutely beholden to, to keeping fossil fuel uh, fossil fuel industry going no matter what for as long as possible. Uh, with the kind of bullshit solutions that, that we've discussed, hydrogen and CCS, which is why it's not surprising that one of the political solutions uh, that's being proposed is coming from an independent MP, Zali Stegall, who famously booted out Tony Abbott from the Warringah seat at the last federal election. And I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about um, Zali's climate bill. As you said, we don't have climate legislation, so this is a proposed bill that's about to be tabled. Why is it essential that we have this legislation to address with some of the issues you've spoken about? And... Uh, you know, what is it proposed to do and when is it going to be tabled? 
Mm. So th this is the anecdote to state capture, which which you've pointed out, right, which is basically more transparency, more accountability. And a great example of this is the Climate Change Authority, right, which was set up under the, the same time the Clean Energy Regulator, sorry, the yeah, and the, the Clean Energy Finance Corporation and Arena, the same time that all those organizations were set up in 2011, 12, an independent body called the Climate Change Authority was set up to give advice on what Australia's target should be. Since then, under this current government, they've replaced the head of the Climate Change Authority with Grant King, the guy who did the secret review for the government that said, hey, let's go gangbusters on carbon capture and storage and stacked it with a number of other officials that have interests in the fossil fuel industry. And they're the ones who are supposed to be the independent advisors. So it just shows you how many different sort of elements have been corrupted, have been colored in such a way as to reduce the accountability. That's, so that's what Zali's bill is trying to do. That's what the Climate Change Act, Climate Action Now is supposed to do. It brings in a new body of experts that is independent. It doesn't report to and take direction from the minister, but they only really have the best interests of the climate in mind, and they can put that forward um, without any adulteration. And not only that, but every five years, we will have an independent assessment as to what our target should be in line with net zero by 2050, if not sooner, which is what the science is saying. And not only that, that's on the mitigation side, that's dealing with emissions reductions. They also are going to look at how we adapt to the unavoidable consequences of climate change, because we're also severely underprepared for that as well. Australia has never done a risk assessment for how vulnerable it is to climate change. It doesn't have a national adaptation plan. Um, so we're, which is why it's no surprise that things like the black summer bushfires come through and we're kind of sitting there um have to call in the army and that just is a giant kerfuffle like we are ill prepared for the impacts and we are ill suited to dealing with the problem and the bill will help address all those things by being bringing in a framework to actually get australia on track by putting a system in place that helps that happen and when are we likely to see this bill being tabled? Is uh, Are we waiting for after the election to see if we have a stronger crossbench to get it through? Or are we relying on Labor to... Yeah, so, I mean, the problem is um, Zali Stegler is in the lower house. And in the lower house, independents can't necessarily bring forward a bill to be debated as a private member's bill on the floor unless it has the tick-off of a committee that is stacked by the government. And so, even though the bill went to a committee and there were official hearings and we did a big submission and as did thousands of other people put submissions in, it won't go to the floor of the House of Representatives for a vote because the government said it won't do so. And the modern liberals in other seats in and around where Zali's seat is in Sydney have refused to do that and have come up with a whole variety of excuses not to. Maybe if that bill might find its way into the Senate, it could potentially be introduced in the Senate. That's what we'll find out soon enough but it deserves to be voted on. And politicians should vote with their conscience, not with political and party lines, because that's what the climate crisis does, requires. So we're more likely to see this bill be tabled if after the election, there is a different, different lineup to this parliament, either a, um, a minority government or a strong crossbench with independence. But that's, that's really what we, that's what people can take action with at the next federal election is to um, 
is to vote in in a way that uh, that changes the balance of power so that we can see this kind of legislation being not only tabled but also passed yeah um i mean and and it's worth directly asking like directly ask your your member of parliament like will you support zali stegel's bill in, and if not why not and are they candidates who will or something similar like that's the most direct way that you can engage in this and you should just sort of on the on the topic of uh, of policy, we have this climate summit coming up, uh, the COP twenty six summit in Glasgow in November. Have you got any thoughts about what this climate summit is is shaping out to be? Are we likely to see something material being uh, happening, or is it just another shit show? Yeah, look, uh, the hosts, which is the United Kingdom, are taking this very seriously, and the incoming um, individual who preside over the summit, uh, a minister called Alok Sharma has said that he wants COP26 to be about consigning call to history, right? So it's a very clear message that this is not just about net zero by 2050 commitments, which can be just useless if they're unaccountable. This is about taking immediate action over the next 10 years, and that includes getting rid of coal power. So I think that's a very strong message, which hasn't been fully digested here in Australia, but it's be really interesting to see what happens over the next few weeks when more and more of that messaging is coming through. Um, and so hopefully the Australian government is doing its serious homework around what more it can bring to the table because it will be under pressure. Um, and this will also be the first UN climate conference that um, President Biden and his special envoy, John Kerry, will be attending. And so that will also add to the pressure because it's nominally five years since the Paris Agreement, um, the, you know, officially six years, but the COP was delayed a year, much like the Olympics. So let's just pretend it was five years. Um, and the whole purpose is to take stock. There'll be a big report saying, okay, everyone has put these targets on the table. Let's add them up. Is that enough to keep global warming to, uh, to, to 1.5 degrees? No, there's this huge gap. Okay, how do we do more? That's the conversation they're gonna have around ambition. And it will mean Australia will be in a very awkward position because its target hasn't changed since the Paris Agreement. It is weak. It is only reducing emissions 26% by 2030. The US had the same target and they doubled theirs. The Japanese had the same target and they increased theirs to 46%. Like the Canadians increased theirs, the EU it's 55%, the UK it's 68%. More, many of our friends are doing the hard yards and bringing in more stronger emissions targets. That's what we need to be asking. The whole game is around what we do in the next 10 years and Australia should at the very least double its target, if not triple it. Anything thought of that is just more marketing and spin. It's kind of funny because compared to Australia, so many other countries are doing a good work. Um, but um, Greta is not impressed, uh, you know, it, it, from uh, from if you're just looking at what the UK is doing uh, without comparing it to Australia, you know, there's been a lot of criticism about them calling themselves climate leaders. And, you know, I think all power to her because we need people to just keep keep the pressure on, keep the pressure on. It's not like, oh, yeah, great, cool. That's wonderful. You know, let's let's you know, we can we can relax now. Yeah, um, that's right. That's right. Yeah. Now, just one last question, um, and uh, you know, this is kind of so that we provide it. Everyone's always like, you know, what about the balanced view kind of thing? Uh, and you know, I'm I'm all I'm all for that when there is a, a valid uh, uh, alternative or counter argument. And you know, we didn't touch this on this in the honest government ad, but it's important to also acknowledge that there is a potential role for uh, technologies that remove carbon dioxide from the atmosphere sometime in the future to help stabilize climate at 1.5 degrees, maybe after mid-century. And even the IPCC has included such technologies like CCS in their models and are saying, we're gonna need them. 
Uh, some of these technologies also don't entail burning fossil fuels like direct air capture, uh, which sucks the CO2 straight out of the air. There's some species of kelp that absorbs CO2 when they sink to the ocean floor. And then of course there's forests. Just to see us out, can you elaborate a little on what you see as the positive role that negative emission technology can play in the future, if any? Mm. I mean, technology nominally is neutral, right? It, it's a modality, it's a tool. The problem is that tool in Australia has been used for marketing. It hasn't been used to actually reduce emissions. And that's why your ad is, is honest, because that is how it has honestly played out in the last two decades in Australia. That technology, however, which is which is basically taking CO2 and then burying it or using it as something else, could and should be used in some instances where there are no alternatives. Where there are no alternatives and we're going to have emissions, then yes, find some technology to go ahead and, and do that. And also, if we're going to draw down, which we're most likely going to have to, which is you know going up in emissions and eventually sucking down more CO2 than we're burning, then we will need to use new technologies like direct air capture um, to find different ways to suck down the CO2 um, and, and other greenhouse gas emissions. So yes, they will have a place, but their place is not going to be alongside extracting new fossil fuels. That is just lining the pockets of fossil fuel companies uh, at the expense of everyone. That's really all that is. And so, yes, there will be a particular niche role and that's that's OK. But right now it is we're all being taken on a ride and we need to get off this ride. And so we need to call it for what it is. And that's a marketing tool. And if those that really think that there's a niche role and that we should be backing in that niche role, well, then they need to go out there and call out CCS that is being used for marketing, that is being used as clean coal or clean hydrogen. Because the obligations on them, as much as it is on me, as much as it is on Juice Media, to actually call out bullshit. And right now, their technology is being taken on a ride, and it's on them as much as it is on us to call it out. Thanks so much, Richie, for helping us to understand like complex topics, uh, you know, and uh, thanks to the, all the work that you do at the Australia Institute. We're going to link to the projects that, uh, sorry, to the reports that um, that, that we mentioned um, uh, on Gorgon, on um, the, the failed CCS projects, which we um, used, we, you know, really based a lot of the Honest Government ad on the work of the Australia Institute. So thank you for doing all of that, all of that hard, hard work on research and, um, I also want to plug uh, the show that you're doing now on YouTube called Spin Bin, which is just brilliant. I love it. Um, basically, you're taking, uh, you know, interviews with senior uh, ministers like, you know, it, maybe it's a Matt Canavan or or Angus Taylor and uh, basically pausing the interview and de-spinning and decoding uh, some of these messages, which is just uh, a, a civic service that you're providing. So we'll put the link to that to the Spin Bin show um, and yeah, check it out. It's, uh, it's a really good um, addition to um, educating the public about climate and energy policy, some of the most important issues that we're facing today. So thanks very much, Richie. Thanks to you, Dino. And can I also say thank you to the Juice Media. Um, it's great work that you guys do. It's a really complicated issue and that's why a lot of people don't want to engage in this. But to take it and to simplify it down really does help. It makes our research a lot more communicable. And that's what we're learning from as well in doing stuff like Spin Bin. We have one on the COP that we're doing called Good Cop, Bad Cop that should be coming out soon as well. So thank you for, for giving us the opportunity to turn all that into something digestible. Awesome. All right. Thanks very much, Richie Mosin. Thanks very much for joining us. Well, that brings us to the end of this episode of the Juice Media Podcast. If you found it useful, please recommend it to your friends and family, because as I said at the start, 
we have to improve our collective understanding and literacy of climate and energy policy so that we can make a better informed decision at the next federal election. Right now, around the world, everyone who cares about the climate crisis is working their ass off to turn this ship around. And here in Australia, we have one job before we can do anything else replace this government, owned and controlled as it is by fossil fuel interests, and replace it with one that will pass serious climate legislation, which will not only begin to restore our international reputation as a responsible citizen of the world, but also benefit our economy, our economy, not that of fossil fuel companies, create jobs, and maybe even improve our collective mental health. That's what our entire team here at The Juice Media is working hard to help bring about, which makes it sound like we're a big team, we're not, we're tiny. But when you include our thousands of patrons and millions of viewers, we can collectively help to change the framework of the conversation and maybe, just maybe, the course of history. Thanks to Ellen for helping to produce and edit the Juice Media podcast. And as always, thank you, our patrons, who make the podcast and the Honest Government ads possible. In particular, our patron producers who support us at the highest level of $100 a month. Thank you. If you value the work that we do here, you can support us at patreon.com forward slash the Juice Media. You've been listening to the Juice Media podcast with me, Giordano. I'll catch you very soon for our next Honest Government ad. Until then, take care.